0: Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. Yay! Episode 15. All right, before we get started, as you know, by now, you don't have to take notes. I've done it. Go on my website for all of the show notes and everything else you can possibly want and imagine, like my food photography portfolio and my email address. Because we need to work together. It's Elizabethrfuller.com. Find me on Instagram and tag me in all of your food adventures, Let's Go on a Food Adventure. And you want to be on the podcast? Do you have questions for the podcast? Do you need me to help sleuth a recipe for you or a cooking dilemma? Or really just help you with any problem you may have in your life? Email me, let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. All right, let's get started, you guys. So today, today we're talking about all things gardening. Okay, so I have, I am, how can I reframe this so it doesn't come off negative? I'm a person who really, really, really wants to help plants thrive. But unfortunately, I have not been blessed with the gift of keeping plants alive. My mother, on the other hand, she can't kill a plant. Me, I can kill bamboo. I have even killed many an air plant. How do I have this gift to kill plants, you ask? Well, I stop paying attention to them. No, honestly, it's really more, I just don't really know what I'm doing when it comes to keeping plants alive. I buy them with the best intentions, I ask the questions, and then the second they get into my house, I forget. (laughs) Other things in life come up, and I forget to either water them, or I don't put them in the right space for the sunlight, or maybe I put too much sunlight on them, and then I get frustrated, and then they die. So when it comes to gardening, (laughs) you can only imagine that I'm on the struggle bus a little bit with this but I love the idea of it and I grew up with all of my grandparents both my dad's side and my mom's side always had like those little vegetable gardens um in their yard and really it wasn't like I mean they were in Pennsylvania my my nudge mama my dad's mom was in Pittsburgh and in a very urban neighborhood. And so she had this little tiny yard in the back. And I remember when we were little kids, we used to go and spend the summers with both sets of grandparents. And we would spend a little bit of time in Pittsburgh. And then we'd spend more time um, up in where my mom's parents were from, which was Erie, Pennsylvania. And when we were in Pittsburgh, it was like one of the first times that I saw when I was a kid a green pepper, like a green bell pepper growing in like, not, I was going to say in the wild, but it's not, it's, it's in my Nudge Mama's garden. And just to see like, oh my God, like that's the pepper that I know my parents cook with. And now I see it growing on a plant. Like what? Mind blown. But you know, those were the simple days in the eighties where <laughs> video games weren't quite there yet and we entertained ourselves in the evening by catching fireflies in the backyard in jars i know i know it's very um not the waltons but you know what i'm trying to say it was it was just simpler so i remember that i remember in my mom's dad's garden he had always had tomatoes in the summer like an abundance of tomatoes zucchini and that was pretty much it from what i can remember but hands down, my favorite memory with him in the summertime is watching him stand by the stove with a cold beer. He always had beer on tap um, in his little kegerator in this old school fridge that he had in, in one of his garages. And... Um, he would be frying zucchini and to me summertime is like a cold beer in the afternoon and really good fresh crispy fried salty zucchini oh man it'll bring me right back into his kitchen with him and it's just something that's very near and dear and special in my world but anyway so when it comes to me and gardening my adventure really started when I moved back here and then I moved out of the city and got an apartment that had in a, a little lovely place called Malden, <laughs> which is like, you know, it's still on the T line. It's, it's fairly, very close to Boston, but it is a, it's a really cool area outside of the city that has very, very, very diverse cultures kind of like clashing together. They have this great massive Asian population there from all different parts of Asia. Um, Hispanic, old school Italians. It's, It's a cool, it's got a really cool dichotomy of cultures and people and food. And it's a great little area and it's super close to the city. So anyway, when I moved there, I had this big porch that I could finally do like a container porch garden. I called it my $100 salad experiment. And it went well. I grew lettuce and I attempted to, like, when I was picking out the vegetables I wanted to grow, and I'll tell the story because Todd would be, my husband would be very sad if I didn't tell the story. Um, and keep in mind, I've never grown a garden before, so I didn't know <laughs> what the seeds were going were gonna to look like. It sounds so silly. For someone who's so passionate about food and all things food, it does sound very silly that This actually happened and the fact that I'm going to say it out loud. But anyway, so when we were, when I was coming up with my container garden, my $100 salad experiment, I was trying to figure out like what I wanted to eat. And so that's what I, that's how I based what I was going to grow. Not what I should have done is what sunlight do I have access to? How often is it sunny in this area? What will grow best in this, in these conditions? No. No, I didn't go that route. That would be the more that that's now the route I, I understand that <laughs> you have to take. This route was what do I want to eat? So it was obviously like tomatoes, carrots. I, I love peas. I love peas. So it was like, oh, I want to make I want to grow peas, lettuces, herbs, you know, simple stuff. I didn't put two and two together that containers and carrots probably don't go hand in hand because I'm sure you can grow, and I know you can grow certain ones, but they need a lot of room to go down. You know, they're root fudgie as we all know. So anyway, I, when I was opening the little seed packets, I, <laughs> this is going to sound so silly. Oh God. He was sitting next to me and we had all these containers and I opened the first one and I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, what? I'm like, there's peas in here. And he goes, yeah. What do you, how do you think peas grew? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know that the pea is the thing that grows the pea plant. I thought maybe there would be, like, a little seed from a flower or something. Like, it's an actual pea. Oh, my God. There's little peas in the seed packet. And he's like, "I yeah, right? Isn't that cool? I'm like, uh-huh. Wow. And I'm, like, you know, making the little holes and putting the peas in. So then he opens the carrot packet up. He looks inside and he goes, oh, my god and i'm like what what he goes there's little baby carrots in here and i'm like nah and so I, take, I take the packet from him and i'm like you uh, bleep 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 i was like there's the seeds he's like i know i was just kidding I'm like oh my god you got he got me so good so since then I've learned a little bit more about gardening. And when we moved to our next apartment uh, together, we also had a beautiful porch that got great sunlight. And so that container garden grew to many. I mean, it was like you walked out on our back porch and there was no room for anything. It was all containers all the time. And what I learned from that container garden was that at one point I had, and I had them lined up in a strange way where it was like, little baby eggplants tomatoes and that's when I started I love we love hot things so I started growing different kinds of hot peppers and herbs and 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 things like that and I had it was like this um horseshoe shaped railing that I had all the plants on and at one point and I had peas growing up on trellises and it just it looked beautiful the there was like this one kind of lettuce that got infected with some kind of disease and then hot peppers and then these tomatoes and I didn't know anything about companion planting or or any of that but my good friend's um fiance is a botanist and he specializes in I don't know if he's a botanist but he let's call him a botanist but he specializes in teaching about botany and plants and he's a very fascinating, fascinating individual. So when they came over one time to have dinner and I was like, yeah, can, wait, can you take a look at this plant? Like what's going on with it? He's like, oh, you have aphids or something on that plant. And it's smart that you put these hot peppers there because that's protecting the rest of your plants because it won't affect them, but um, blah, 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 you know, whatever. And I was blown away because I, again, no concept of what companion planting was, which is a fascinating subject if you're interested in gardening and like doing a, a bigger garden. And um, then we graduated to raised beds uh, when we bought our house that had a yard. And so now we we have four raised beds, a uh, handful of containers. I've grown flowers all over the yard. I've been maintaining what the previous owners, the landscaping the pre- previous owners have done, me and my husband have, and um so far so good. But uh, <laughs> there's been, we also have bamboo and bamboo in the backyard and it's beautiful and uh I have not killed that. So knock on wood. Yeah. Anyway, uh this episode is so good for me because with this interview, I learned so much about gardening, and now Shani from Baker Creek Seed uh, is my new best friend. So <laughs> I I've emailed her a handful of times already, and the she knows I'm gonna be have I'm gonna have to send her a gift. She knows her thank you um, for letting me pick her brain so much. That unfortunately, there's going to be more emails coming because she is so freaking smart and so passionate about all things plants and gardening and vegetables and such a wealth of information that I am so, I'm just, I'm so grateful to now have her as a friend in my life and someone I can connect with when it comes to all things gardening. So I hope you enjoy this episode, man, as much as I did listening and chatting with her. Okay. But let's, let's try at least one or two listener questions before we get into the interview. Kendall in North Carolina writes, I don't like tomatoes, but I grow them every year in my garden. (laughs) Okay. Unfortunately, I always have a ton. And I give them away, and I want to really try to like them. Do you have any ideas or recipes that I might be able to use where I could hide them in the recipe? Oh, I love this. It's so funny because I kind of have the opposite problem that you do. I actually love tomatoes, and I grow them especially like the cherry tomatoes, I eat them like candy right off the vine. I love the smell of when you pull a fresh tomato off of the vine. There, It's such a very special and distinct smell. Uh, oh, I absolutely love them. Um, but Todd, my husband, can't stand. I can't say that that's not a fair statement. He does not care for raw tomatoes. He doesn't mind them cooked in things, but raw, like he'll eat a couple. It's just not it's not as. Yeah, it's just not his jam, but to each their own, right? So there's a couple of things that you could do to try to maybe like tomatoes better. I don't know why you don't like them. Um, maybe it's a texture thing. Maybe they're too acidic for you. I'm not sure, but if you, so you can always do, and I also don't know what kind of tomatoes you're growing. Um, so just, let's just say they're regular old beef steaky kind of tomatoes. If you pick them when they're green, you can fry them and then dip them in ranch dressing, which is delicious. And you can make your own buttermilk ranch with the herbs maybe that you're growing in your garden, which would be delicious. Um, If you take them and you hollow them out, so take the seeds out of the tomato. So say you cut the top of the tomato off, right? Right and you then take a little knife and you run the knife all around the inside and then pull out the seeds in that little center stem part of the tomato, you could stuff it with um, either like tuna salad or chicken salad or maybe even an egg salad or you can make like a a tuna salad but instead of using tuna, you can use chickpeas. If you're vegan, um, that's delicious. The other thing you can do is if you take the seeds out of the tomato, so say you cut the tomato up into chunks, like slices, and you take the seeds out of the slices of the tomatoes, like the 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 jelly, seedy kind of part of the tomato, take that out and then, I don't know, try, just put a tiny bit of salt on it and try try to see if you even like that flavor of the tomato because some people really don't like tomatoes because they don't like the texture of like the seed part of the tomato whereas if you try it this way then you're eating just the actual flesh of the tomato maybe maybe you actually might like it it's worth a shot I mean I grew up in a family in a household that you always tried a bite of something and then you can make your mind up if you didn't like it or not so I would try the bite of it I love adding tomatoes in sauces and not just like making tomato sauce, but like if I'm making, say, a quick and easy dinner and I'm like, I got some really good local lobster ravioli the other night, boiled them, and then on the side I sauteed up a shallot, chopped up some cherry tomatoes, some asparagus, some fresh peas, we all know how much I love peas, and then sauteed all that, added a tiny bit of cream, like a teeny tiny bit, and in a little bit of the pasta water, and between all of that, it made this beautiful sauce that I just tossed the lobster ravioli in. But the tomatoes, even just like a handful of them, helped make the sauce balance out a little bit better and like added this nice little pop and brightness to it. Um, so I, but I love tomatoes. I absolutely love tomatoes. I can link a few recipes on in the show notes of how to use up maybe a ton of tomatoes, but if you don't really care for tomatoes, I don't know if you should grow them anymore, but I appreciate that you keep growing them. Maybe it's for somebody in your household or maybe, and that's very kind of you to do, um, but maybe if you cut the seeds out of the tomato, you might like it. I'm I'm just saying, who knows, right? It's worth a shot, especially if you're growing them and you love growing them. Okay, let's try one more. From Kenneth from Facebook. He writes, "I love seeing flowers garnished on dishes and photos. What flowers are edible? Oh okay. Oh man so the reason why I'm like hesitating about answering this question when I saw it come through and it, Can- Kenneth, I really appreciate your question and I'm glad that you're asking it. It's just it's like it's I'm not okay, let me just start off by saying I'm not somebody who forages for food. I don't. I am not a botanist. I am not a doctor. I am not a health official in any way, any other disclaimer I could put out there. So please, 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 please don't go out and just pick random flowers or mushrooms or or anything and eat it without really knowing what you're eating because you could get so, so sick. So really, 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 really proceed with caution with this. Um, I know like, for example, at the Whole Foods I shop at, they have in the the fresh produce section where all like the clamshell packs of spices or um, herbs are. They usually have edible flowers in, in that section. Um, so I would start there, number one. Because the thing with eating flowers or, or anything for that matter, but flowers especially, is that you want to make sure pesticides were not used on or any kind of chemicals on these flowers or any part of the plant because you again you would get extremely sick so i would never ever ever buy flowers in like a florist shop and then eat them they're beautiful to look at keep them in your house and you also don't know if you don't if you have any allergies to these flowers because you're eating not just like the petals of the flowers. In some cases, you could be eating some of the pollen or the the stems. you know, I don't know. I would just be very, 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 very careful. But there are certain flowers that you can eat. Um, and some of those are like, for example, the hibiscus flower in Mexico, they steep it and they make almost it's a it's a it's a drink called jamaica jima, jimaica. I think I'm saying this right. I think it's. I think I'm saying it right, Jamaica, pretty sure. And it's this like beautiful ruby, dark ruby red sweetened beverage that they serve over ice and kids drink it a lot. But I mean, adults drink it too. It's super refreshing. I like to make it with a little less sugar than what I've had there. But um, it's really kind of bright and almost cranberry-like in flavors, sort of. It's like the closest thing I can uh, think to compare it to. A lot of people, like in my Lebanese episode, you use rose water and orange blossom water in a lot of the desserts and cooking and um in that cuisine. And so they're steeping those flowers in things. You could definitely eat citrus blossoms. You can definitely eat rose petals. But again, you really, really, really need to make sure that you're eating flowers that are not used, like pesticides and chemicals have not been used on them. I know also like uh, lavender. People use lavender a lot in provincial cooking. Herbs de Provence has lavender in it. It's delicious. Um, I think a little goes a long way with any type of flower you're using. I'm just, and I hate to be so hesitant about this, but I would just be very careful and I would I would stick to the (laughs) clamshells because those and also if I'm being honest, they look beautiful in the pictures. I mean, I do the food and product photography professionally and I do use flowers in those photos. I'll be honest, though, I kind of take them out when I eat them because and it's the flower itself can lend bitter notes to the dish and the dish might not need those bitter notes in it. Um, and it's more just for the aesthetic value of having the flour on the plate. So, just food for thought on that. Oh, and I mean, you can also eat obviously sunflowers, sunflower seeds. They're delicious, uh, but just be careful. Be very, very careful. Okay. Uh, I'll link. I'll link to some articles and some and some recipes. But stick to the clamshells uh, in your grocery store. I think you know what I mean by that. Okay. It's that time. Let's bring on our guest. So, the Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company basically started as a passion project for the owner, Jared, and now has turned into the largest, yeah, the largest heirloom seed company in North America. What? They have an incredible catalog of heirloom seeds featuring about a thousand varieties. I know. How can you pick what you're going to grow? I don't know. I was on the struggle bus for that one, too, but... I think I overbought. That's okay. And we have their incredible garden educator on to answer all of your questions. So, without further ado, please, 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 please welcome to the podcast the incredible, the amazing Shanny from Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. Hey, Shanny, how are you? Hey, I'm well. How are you, Elizabeth? Thank you. I'm so good. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with us all about gardening today. It means so much. I'm such a huge fan of your company, and I am an avid gardener who is a lost little lamb, and your <laughs> wealth of knowledge right now means so, so, so much to me.
1: Sure. Yeah, I'm glad. I've, you know, it's springtime. It's time to start sowing seeds, so I've got an abundance of energy. Happy to take the call. Happy to Woo-hoo! get you in- all prepped for the gardening season.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So now you grew up in Rhode Island and I believe Block Island, and then you made your way down to now, I believe you're in Florida. Is that right? Yes, correct. So two totally different climates, two totally different growing times and areas, but how did you get into gardening and how did you become the garden educator for Baker Creek?
1: Uh, yeah, that, see, that's an awesome question. Uh, that is, I, I guess it goes back to when I was a little kid. I <laughs> It
0: always grew, does, I
1: love I, it. <laughs> yeah, I grew up on Block Island, which is a three by seven mile island off the coast of Rhode Island. You have to take a ferry to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, my family were, my grandparents were the school teachers on Block Island and Block Island was a very different place before the before the 1980s it was actually pretty rural and it was super hard to live there because the ferry didn't run very frequently and it was just kind of a rugged place um so i'm i was born in 89 and uh the island was changing rapidly but it was still kind of a a really secluded and isolated place Mm. and so and um Our grocery store didn't have a lot of produce. Um, I didn't grow up eating an abundance of fresh vegetables. Uh, Mm I really couldn't grow a garden because we were just working class, normal people on Block Island, so we worked every day Mm -hmm. of the summer, um, sun up to sundown. So there's no time to grow a garden, and there's really not a ton of produce at the grocery store, especially not really affordable. So I grew up eating a ton of canned vegetables and frozen food. and when I became exposed to fresh veggies and how delicious they are, I just became enamored. Um, and I started gardening, um, I started gardening in high school, uh, as much as I could, but I was Mm -hmm. like, I said, always really busy working in the summers and in any of the gardening season. Um, -hmm. but I became just obsessed with gardening and, um, I hadn't really even grown up around a, a big diversity of people, because I grew up in this tiny island with only 800 residents, Um, and there were a lot of students that would come to work on Block Island for the summer with J-1 student visas, so for just a few months of the year, I got this awesome opportunity to mingle with all these people from all over the world, and I was just so fascinated by meeting people um, from outside my tiny little bubble, and I I just, I was always so intrigued and interested in what other people ate, and what they grew, and what they garden, so when I went off to college, I studied horticulture and sustainable agriculture. I was working on farms as much as I could. Um, I was waiting tables to pay for my farming addiction because very expensive. It's not very um, because because farming um, doesn't always pay super well, especially when you're just getting started out. Mm-hmm. So um, I was working with food. I was growing food. I was, you know, selling beautiful produce as a as a waitstaff. And just becoming really obsessed with, the, uh, with vegetables and produce and all the different kinds of vegetables that are out there. So uh, I started my first farm. Um, I was just growing on rented land on a historic piece of farmland on Block Island. And um, I was growing Baker Creek seeds. Um, I had gotten the Baker Creek catalog and was just obsessed with this, with this mm-hmm. catalog. The catalog is
0: beautiful, by the way. Like it is a piece of art. It's like almost like one of those coffee table books that you can like kind of flip through. You know, it sounds so weird to do that with a catalog, but it's, the pictures are spectacular. Absolutely.
1: And, um, you know, that's because uh, Jared Gettle, the the owner of Baker Creek, he Mm -hmm. knows what it's like to sit through a long winter and dream about Mm -hmm. your garden cup. So I was dreaming with the Baker Creek catalog, ordering Mm -hmm. my seeds. And, um, I was just a customer and I subscribed to the email newsletter and I saw that they were hiring. I had a degree in horticulture and sustainable ag. I was a farmer. I was looking for something new. So I applied for the job and got it. I moved out to Missouri, to the Ozarks, oh left, little, left <laughs> Rhode Island. I had attended the university of Rhode Island. Um, and so I had, it was really just, you know, uh, a Rhode Islander for life Yeah. yeah. I, I moved to Missouri to the Ozarks to take this uh, garden manager job and it changed my life in such a profound way I got to grow crops from all over the world and I got to meet gardeners from every 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 place in the world every community in the US it was such an awesome eye-opening experience and I was I just my life has been so enriched by it Um. I've been working for Baker Creek for seven years since then, Um, and so my job title has changed. I used to be the garden manager, and then I um, had to move home, uh, take care of my family, so I moved back to Rhode Island and was working remotely, um, doing garden education, writing. I've been writing the catalog for the last few years. So I like to write those descriptions that you see in the catalog. Oh man, um, you're
0: so good at it. Cause I oh, oh. like <laughs> in t- I literally was like, I want to buy every single seed in this catalog, just reading the description. So you, you have also found your calling with writing food descriptions oh, you, for good. seeds. I, <laughs> it's beautiful.
1: I always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid, but I, I didn't think I was, um, I didn't think I was cut out for it. So in some weird way, fate brought me around to be mm. a writer. Now. Um, so that was cool. and. I, the, you know, the descriptions are authentic because I always reach out to whoever I can from the community that those seeds are coming from. So, um, I try to get a lot of firsthand information, you know, authentic recipes. Mm -hmm. It's really about, you know, digging deep into these histories and into these communities, whether it's historic or, um, still going on today Mm -hmm. and, and sharing those stories and, um, really keeping things we don't like to change names. Um, mm-hmm. you know, even if they're difficult to pronounce, we still keep those mm-hmm. authentic. We want to really um instill that these are, you know, global seeds that we are happy that people have chosen to share with us, to share with the greater seed saving community. So um that's really the the message that we try to push through and get get going with the catalog is that um, this is a beautiful sharing experience and uh, the descriptions, I think they really shine because of that, because they're not, um, we, I don't like to homogenize the descriptions or make mm-hmm. them, or make them, um, you know, I don't know, palatable or like not palatable, mm-hmm. but I don't like to um, reduce them, them.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah. yeah. I to keep I them, and that's uh, not just me. That's the the owner and founder of your Gettle. That's, that's his vision as well is just to, so that anybody who picks up the catalog might say, oh my goodness, I remember that seed from way back when, when I lived mm-hmm. here, when you know, my parents grew it and they can do further historic research because they have the true name,
0: you know, that it also helps people for research purposes. Mm-hmm. When I think it's amazing. Don't. Yeah. And like, you can really hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about this. This is something that I can, I know is so near and dear to your heart. And you know, when you do something out of love, it really shines even brighter and people like me and, and I mean, let's be honest. So he started this company in 1998, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So not that long ago, like in the grand scheme of things, 1998 yeah. to me feels like yesterday. Cause that's basically when I graduated high school. And mm-hmm. has now grown it into one of, if not the largest heirloom seed company in the in North America, which is bonkers. <laughs>
1: like, uh-huh. yeah. Right? Like that that's insane. It's so it's all been organic growth. You know, he started yeah. in his parents' pun he intended. In his parents acre. Yeah, in his parents, <laughs> that's true. His, he started the company, in his parents um attic and it was really just you know started from his obsession with saving seeds collecting i i do find that i i click with jare um he was his parents were homesteaders mm-hmm. and he was raised in montana and then in the missouri ozarks and i we always really connected on that you know we both were from somewhere pretty rural and mm-hmm. it was uh, it was such a privilege to get to share seeds um, with other folks and to experience traveling, even when mm-hmm. you can't necessarily afford it, you know, mm-hmm. that that's the coolest thing is to be able to, it's like traveling from your garden, mm-hmm. <laughs> experiencing and exchanging with another culture, even if you can't do it right at that
0: moment. Great, beautiful, very poetic way to put it. So for people who don't understand what the difference between a regular seed, like, and I'm not going to mention any other company names that make regular seeds because we're not really, sure. we're not bashing anybody. You do you. But mm-hmm. what makes an heirloom seed so special and how are they different from like air quotes the regular ones?
1: Right. Yeah, sure. So, heirlooms are open pollinated and this is really most important to seed savers. Um mm. so if you like to save your own seeds, you you really need to be growing heirlooms. Those are open pollinated, which means the means of pollinating and crossing that variety to get it to look the way it does was either done by um, an insect the wind some no- natural mechanism or done by man by hand by human excuse me mm-hmm. let me back that up or done by human <laughs> inter- intervention but <clears throat> minimal cross breeding and stabilizing so that would be like using a paintbrush mm-hmm. using a two-tip hand pollination, and then stabilizing by just saving those seeds over and over. It's a very labor-intensive process, but it's super cool because it ensures that you can save the seeds of that tomato you're eating, plant them, and the next season, you're going to get the same tomato. It's very sustainable because you're not going to have to come back and buy your seeds every year. We don't really need you to come and buy your green zebra Mm. tomatoes every year. You should just save those green zebras and then next season, you could think about a different tomato or,
0: you know, just keep saving. Um, but wow. it's like, so wait, how more- do you save a seed? Well, like, uh, this, this is a whole new term that I, I didn't even know what a seed saver, what is a seed saver and how do you save a seed properly?
1: Right. I mean, most gardeners are seed savers, whether they know it or not. It's mm. just, if you are someone who at the end of the season or at the end of a plant's life cycle, you realize, oh, I could save the seeds I, seeds of this plant maybe it's when your marigolds go brown and dry Mm. you just snatch those seeds throw them in a drawer and plant them the next season or you let your tomatoes get a little mushy and rotty you squeeze the seeds out ferment them for a few days strain them and you save those for next season um well then congratulations you're a seed saver it's basically a seed saver is somebody who keeps their seed supply in home in hand by just growing and you know growing their crop isolating if that's necessary because i'm not going to get too deep into it because it gets mm. pretty complicated but there are instances where insects can cross pollinate your heirloom varieties and you saving those seeds you might get some kind of crossed mm. variety um there are pretty very simple there are very simple ways to prevent cross pollination um once you get really get into seed saving you start to learn about isolation and preventing unwanted cross pollination mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that is a seed saver is someone who saves their own seed year after year. Then it's it's kind of like an addiction. First, you start just being a seed saver. And then before you know it, you got a seed library. Then you're doing seed exchanges and then you're oh, mailing man. friends. You become a member of the seed savers exchange. This is really the trajectory that Jared Gettle took from being a teenager and um, to starting his company. He was a avid gardener. Then he started saving and collecting his seeds. Then he started sharing them with friends, mailing them to people across the country via the mm. Seed Savers Exchange. And then he started his little company. He was just photocopying a little catalog that he made himself. And um, his parents were like, Oh, okay, buddy, you can do it. You know, he was 17 or 16, wow. young. And they were like, All right, you know, this seems like a cool little hobby for you. And then all of a sudden, He just stuck with it and just intense passion, you know, and he's got a real natural knack for marketing Mm -hmm. and eye for color photography. So, Mm -hmm. um, he just, he grew over time and, um, and heirlooms are, is it okay, Elizabeth, if I track back a bit to give a few more things reasons I love heirlooms? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh no, no. Yeah, please. Aside from just being open pollinated, which is great for us seed savers. And it's very sustainable. Mm-hmm. There are other characteristics that make an heirloom an heirloom seed. Um, so heirlooms are also typically more flavorful because an heirloom seed is almost always, almost exclusively, it the seed saver uh, <clears throat> almost exclusively selected for characteristics related to flavor in the culinary side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe also things like canning quality or something good for making sauce, but it's usually, it's just on the, it's, it, they heirlooms. Most heirlooms are typically culinary minded. Um, and then it, it, that's uh, that, that would be the opposite of a lot of hybrid seeds, ones that are more recently selected mm-hmm. and they have a bit more intervention in how they are cross pollinated um, hybrids are typically, and especially commercial, commercial Mm -hmm. hybrids. They're typically selected for things like, um, durability for shipping, uniformity, um, ability, disease resistance, ability to be grown on a very wide scale, um, mechanization for industrialized farming. Those
0: are some of the bigger, um, hybrids. I love how delicately you're trying to say this. (laughs) Because you're doing it so beautifully without like really totally bashing the fact that these vegetables taste, I'll say it, they taste like crap. And like, you really want to buy these beautiful or uh, heirloom and organic veggies. If you want to know what a strawberry should taste like, you know, like you don't get one from Argentina. It's not going to taste Eat-
1: like a good strawberry. Yeah, it, it's such a bummer because vegetables get this bum rap, you know, mm-hmm. because, um, our first, sometimes our first and only exposure is just one really bad experience with like super rubbery bland celery from the buffet or from the grocery store. Yep. and I Never want to try celery again. Or like I hated tomatoes growing up. Well, of course I hated tomatoes. All I had were like those cardboard tasting tomatoes. Mm-hmm. So some commercial hybrids, that's that's kind of the direction they're in. But that's not to say, I never want to shame people for growing hybrids because hybrids do have this, this quality called hybrid vigor, which means that they tend to germinate a little bit faster and they are a little bit more of a robust grower, especially when they're getting started. Some hybrids have excellent disease resistance. And if you're somewhere with a huge disease and pest problem, mm-hmm. you might just look into hybrids for to solve that issue. And some hybrids... Um, and some, some hybrids, and actually a lot of hybrids, they are selected for flavor, but they're typically more kind of selected to be generally vigorous to grow across the country. And the cool part about heirlooms is that they're really not as broadly selected to do well from you know the tip of Florida to the up in Michigan. They're more, they're more g- regionally specific. Um, so if you are a Michigan grower, you can look through our catalog and find things that come from Wisconsin, Michigan, Great Lakes, that area, and find an heirloom that is just going to sing in your region. Mm. It's going to oh so well because it's adapted to your region. Folks that are listening to this and getting like weepy and excited, like I would be if I was yeah. listening. Um, yeah. I would like to also suggest that they look just past Baker Creek and try to find a regionally, regionally adapted seed company in their area because um. Our philosophy is we love to uplift all the seed companies you know, mm-hmm. together. It's, it's an awesome, it's actually an awesome community because we all really work together really well. Um, so if you're listening and you love this idea of a regionally adapted seed, Baker Creek's got so many beautiful regionally adapted seeds. However, um, you can take it a step further and you can find some really cool, um, small family-owned seed companies in your region because there has been an increase Recently, there was overall in the last 50 to 100 years, there's been a massive decrease in how many small family-owned seed companies Mm. exist in America. But now it's on the uptick again slowly. So I recommend that people also, aside from Baker Creek, check out some of the other really amazing regionally adapted seed companies. There's some great ones in New England, Great Lakes, California, um, North Carolina for the South. There's a lot
0: that's wonderful and I agree like uplift your community Baker Creek has an amazing amount of seeds and I highly recommend getting maybe some do just do a little more research get some from them get some from your community there's lots of seed love to go around so beautifully put Shanny beautifully put and now, we do mm-hmm. a lot of those regional seed companies they
1: sell through us as well so you can look mm-hmm. through and say oh that one was actually bred
0: in my area and then they mentioned the seed company that bred it you know so yeah that's awesome that's so Lots awesome now this might sound kind of silly and I think it's something that I know I've taken for granted many many times but you get the seeds from the seed packet and you plant them in the ground but I'm dying to know and I, I don't I, this is just my curiosity how do you behind the scenes get the seeds do you grow plants specifically that are going to go out for distro or do you do you work with like other farmers because I mean it's they all grow so differently in different regions and then there's different pollinations that might happen. Like, how do you control all of that?
1: Oh, that's an see, that's an awesome question. And I encourage anyone listening they, that that asking questions like that makes you such a more educated consumer. <laughs> that's, that's a great question because we, we are located in the heart of the Missouri Ozarks. So we do grow a portion of, we grow know plant the seeds grow them out select for the healthiest you know most robust fruits save the seeds process and package we do that in-house for a good amount of what we offer but certainly not everything Mm -hmm. um we do grow out on site the things that really really kick butt in the missouri ozarks but we cannot save seed on all 1200 varieties it's Mm -hmm. not possible And exactly as you as you guessed, because we don't have the right climate to coax that variety or that specific crop into making a seed stock and saving those seeds, or we don't have the right day length. There's so many factors. Also, as I alluded to before, there can be cross pollination issues. And if we've cut Mm two hundred varieties of mm, anything. (laughs) varieties. <laughs> yeah, if I have a hundred varieties of corn, yeah. it's going to be really hard for me to grow and, iso- and perfectly isolate a hundred different corn varieties and grow that to scale to sell. But this is actually so cool because it means that we've reached out to about over 200 growers in the U.S. and abroad mm-hmm. who grow, save, and mail us bulk their seeds then we package and sell them out and this is really cool because this is where the strength and diversity comes into play Mm -hmm. we've got Mm -hmm. growers from all over this is where i've met so many amazing people is that we have growers from all different walks of life in the us and in um out of the country and family farms and mostly small-scale family farms um and everybody follows the organic standard I, we get this question a lot. We are not organic certified mm-hmm. because we can't ask some of these ridiculously small mom and pop growers to get certified. We, we would love for everyone to be certified, but we found that we just ask our, 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 growers, we work on the honor system and they, they, uh, they follow the organic standard. We haven't ever had a problem with anyone mm-hmm. not following. Um, so yeah, we have over 200 growers from, um, an incredible array of communities. And they uh, grow seed, mail it to us in the fall, usually, mm-hmm. and whenever the end of their season is, that we package it and we send it out to our customers. And this is a great question for people to ask from their seed company in general, because this is where the values of a seed company really shine through. Because if they are uplifting and supporting a diversity of communities, in employing their grow outs, that's a great sign. That's where their actions are really speaking. And so it's a great question to ask from your regional seed company. Most of the regionally adapted seed companies, it's grown in house, which is awesome. It's keeping a small family business thriving. They're growing it all on site. It's amazing. Um, some people are you know, buying from, from all over the globe. So great question to ask.
0: Mm, I love it. Um, and that kind of segues into the next question, which I think you kind of mentioned some of the things you're doing to uplift the company made a controversial choice for a speaker at your spring 2019 event by having and Bundy as the speaker, as one of the keynote speakers. And he can be seen on YouTube saying some incredibly racist things, which I, I know you and I can both agree that it's not just wrong, but it's, it's really just a horrible and horrendous thing to say, think, believe. And I'm sure now the company has been doing a lot behind the scenes, but I'm I'm sure you'd like to highlight some of those things. Why, one, did the company select this person as a speaker to begin with? And what are you doing now to support the Black Lives Matter movement and doing more for the BIPOC community?
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that you asked this question because it's a good opportunity to, um, you know, explain and, and give context. So, um, Clive and Bundy was originally invited because he was a, also happened to be an expert on the practice of dry farming watermelons, where you grow watermelons when you don't need any water, and he was in the desert. So this was the impetus. That's to answer your first question. That's that was the impetus for inviting him. Um, Jared Gettle, who owns the company, his philosophy has always been to keep a very wide tent to to invite um, to invite speakers from you know, all walks and and everyone and not to, um, and just to really keep keep an open door policy. However, we're really, really grateful because the, the folks that challenged us and spoke up and said, hey, this isn't right. You know, um, just because he apologized, that, that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, people aren't still hurting from that and it doesn't exclude others. And so we really realized that you know our having an open door policy can be tricky because sometimes inviting one person excludes another we just hadn't explored understood that reality to the real to to where we needed to and so we're we're so grateful that people brought that to the table and really held us to that accountability because it's made us a better it's, made, it's, it's just broadened our horizons. We've understood okay, so if you have that open door policy and someone you know and someone comes in, if, you, if that excludes other people then it's not really an open door policy. It's not really working. It's not keeping it's not keeping with our our you know our company's approach of of having as much diversity and as much open arm uh and, and and as open arms as possible. So we we really changed our our tune on that idea. And uh you know he was disinvited and um you know we've uh we've really changed how we how we feel about that. And so we've just continued to um donate seeds to a, a huge range of of organizations um, from and including many many organizations that support communities of color we're also um always open to more diversity in our not just who we donate our seeds to but also who we um who we employ in growing out our seeds because that is an excellent way to enliven the community is to is to buy seeds and to work with the community and keeping their their farm income diversified and their growing income diversified. So actually my biggest thing, my biggest takeaway, I hope listeners is if any listeners have any connections with communities uh, or organizations run by uh, people of color, we are always looking for to, especially now we're always looking to really broaden that and bring in more communities and organizations of color and And to do more grow outs, do more donations, we're we're looking for expanding those opportunities. So if people listening have ideas or thoughts or feedback, we would love to hear it because um, that's something that we're trying to make right and make better. And that's really, that's our specialty. That's, you know, people, people support in so many different ways. And this is the way that we can do it. seed donations and um, work, you know, uh, working with with different companies or different growers, different farmers, different backyard gardeners. So that's the way we are reaching out and so yes,
0: if people have other suggestions, we are ready. Wonderful. And what I'll do is um offline you and I connect on how people can get a hold of you better uh, for those reasons and any other questions they may have and I'll put all of that information in the show notes on my website so they can be redirected to you guys. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So I was also deep diving on the website and I saw something called the seed safe pledge. What is the seed safe pledge? And I love that when I was reading it, it's from Cambridge, Massachusetts, which that's my state. So I was pumped to see something there about that. So what is that?
1: Yeah. The safe, the safe seed pledge Oh, sorry. Um, I said it no, the no, no, no I'm so sorry. The same <laughs> Oh no, <pledge. laughs> yeah. So in Cambridge, that's the Council for Responsible Genetics. But this is um this is a pledge that was taken oh a couple decades ago with the advent of genetic modification of seeds. Mm. And basically, these are seed companies that pledge we will never knowingly sell genetically modified seeds. Now we put in knowingly because this is the thing about genetically modified varieties. Um, often, one of the biggest concerns that people have is that those varieties, those genetic modified varieties, they can cross-pollinate and contaminate heirloom mm-hmm. varieties. Mm-hmm. So we work very diligently. Any crops, there, there are only certain crops that are actually in danger of getting cross-pollinated by genetic, uh, genetically modified varieties. Those would be like corn and soybeans and like zucchini. So anything that has any remote chance of having been cross-pollinated and contaminated by genetic modification, we actually send to a lab and get tested um, piece by piece to make sure that that hasn't happened. Um, Wow. We do. Yeah, it's quite, it's actually, that's an untold consequence of the movement for genetic modification is that growers like ourselves, suppliers like ourselves, we have to foot the bill in making sure that we haven't been contaminated. Our seeds haven't been caught. You know, and you can, and I don't really like to speak to the science and the safety and efficacy um, because that's not, I'm not, I have a horticulture and sustainable agriculture degree. So that's Mm -hmm. not really, I don't talk about the biology of it as much as I really talk about the effect that it can have. Um, Those genetics, they don't leave your plant. So if my corn gets cross-pollinated with genetically modified corn from my neighbor's farm, I can never breed it out. It's there forever.
0: Oh my God. And it's, it's so hard to control it because of the wind bees, everything. Yeah. I mean, Oh my goodness.
1: This is one of the you know paramount concerns that folks have with genetic modification. It's just the permanence of it. It's, it's something that's very new and we just haven't seen the entire scope of consequences. And so erring on the side of caution, we would like to we would like to do everything we can to avoid cross contamination and to make sure that our customers are never knowingly or inadvertently getting getting wow. exposed.
0: That's, an, sh- that's awesome. I mean, and thank you. Thank you for caring <laughs> that much about that because it's something again, we behind you know, we as the growers kind of take for granted and no idea the amount of effort knowledge, science, drilling down on the minutiae of it all that you guys go through in order to give us a product that, you know, we're paying $5 for a packet or $10 sometimes for a packet of seeds, but there's so much more that went into that little packet of seeds. And this is a, that's wonderful to know. So thank you from all of us. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And for us, it's really not about telling you that
1: something's good or bad, but it's Absolutely. We disagree that anyone shouldn't have the choice. You know, Mm -hmm. it it is your right to choose whether you want to grow and eat something that has been contaminated by genetic modification. If you do not want to engage in that new technology, we don't care whether you do or don't. We just care that you have the choice. And so we are offering seeds that Allow you to make that choice consciously because that's really what it's about. It's about mm-hmm. people having the freedom to choose. We're not going to tell you don't eat them because mm-hmm. I really—that's your body and not my problem, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't, you know, I don't claim to to make claims about that. I just want you to have the option to choose, and so that's why we do that.
0: I love it. So should we dive into a couple of listener questions? And by a couple, I mean a lot because everyone wanted to talk to you today. Well, this was exciting because this is also part
1: of what I do for Baker Creek. I'm one of a a big team. I'm one member of a big team of people that answer customer gardening questions. Oh, I Um, love it. I do a little bit less every year because I'm doing more of the catalog writing. Mm -hmm. But I, um, you know, at various points, that's been like the full-time gig, you know, just answering people's. endless questions I'm sure all right (laughs) awesome, because it makes you a better gardener because you're like sometimes you really got to dive deep or like research reach out to other gardeners and be like wait a minute this person's having this problem I've never seen
0: it before in my life you know I love it that's awesome all right so Raquel in New Hampshire asks I want to grow some easy veggies on my deck but I only get morning sun are there any that I could try that would still work
1: absolutely so low sun gardening is possible now plants do you know they like they eat sun <laughs> you know they, they eat the sun um that's how they they fuel and that's how they get their energy so low sun is a relative term. Some people say that just, you know, four hours is low sun. Some people say like one hour of exposure is low sun. So Mm. I hope she gets some sun, you know, at least a few hours. Mm -hmm. But um, low sun uh, crops can be things like lettuce. They can be um, Swiss chard is a great one for low sun. Swiss chard, beets. um, I'm a huge beet fan. The beet Mm -hmm. is my spirit vegetable. Um, So beets, lettuce, Swiss chard. Um, I've grown peas in pretty low sun, and if it, if you don't get the pods, you'll like, keep, at least get the tasty shoots. Oh, they're the
0: best. <clears throat> they're almost better than the pods. I'm not gonna lie. I love. Yeah, peaches.
1: yeah. And even carrots can. You know, you might find that they're not uh, going wild for you, but you could get some carrots in, some, in a low sun garden. So, and again, that term's relative. So I she might have more sun than I'm understanding, but I'm giving mm-hmm. her the, the. I love thing- it take the lowest
0: yeah Raquel can get a little salad going so Raquel go make your salad girl I love it um Tanya in Oregon asks I started a garden last year and ended up with an speaking of lettuce an insane amount of lettuce in the beginning there are only so many salads I want to eat (laughs) do you have any good (laughs) recipes besides salad for lettuce
1: oh that's a great one I love that
0: um so there, I want to
1: also suggest Tanya. Um, you can also, you know, you can branch out to other greens, I'm sure she knows that, <laughs> and yeah. try succession planting where you sow um, small patches of seeds every few weeks. You could do about every 14, days. every seven to 14 days with lettuce, you could be sowing fresh seeds so that you have fresh lettuce. But back to the question at hand alternative lettuce recipes beyond salads. Many people do not know that you can actually many people do not know that you can actually cook lettuce. <laughs> there are some really great Ooh, yeah. Asian style, um, stir fried lettuce recipes. So a little bit of sesame oil, um, some chilies, if you like spicy, um, mm-hmm. some chilies, some sesame oil, some toasted sesame seeds, a little ginger, a little, and lots of garlic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of my favorites, a stir fried lettuce recipe works express, especially well with things like romaine, but, um, any lettuce you could do a stir-fried lettuce recipe so that's one way to get cooked lettuce um happening and then uh, you can always do cups you know if if it's depending on the variety yeah if you've got a a, good point um a thicker leaf then you could do things like cups and spring rolls you know wraps Mm -hmm. um open face kind of open face kind of, you know, burrito bowls almost. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to just treat my lettuce. I like, I I love to do salads and I love to just get off the wall with my salads, you know, sweet salads and savory salads. Mm -hmm. um, But you can also just let them serve as a bed, um, just a good fiber base for a layered scenario, like, you know, like a burrito bowl of sorts, but with a big crunchy layer of lettuce at the bottom. So Lots of options. And then of course, great
0: ideas. I'm hungry. And I mean, it's 1115 when we're talking, but now I'm like, I want some lettuce and it's not warm up here today in the Boston area. (laughs) Oh,
1: well, hopefully some farmers have lettuce going because it is very cold tolerant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Be in a high tunnel, you know, growing in a greenhouse. Totally. No, and they do. And there's actually a couple of really good farms in Rhode Island that have made that one's called like Little Leaf Farm or something. They make this super duper crunchy style like little leafs of lettuce hence little leaf farm but anyway we digress but i'm going to oh. now make something today because i'm starving and crunch sounds great all right our next question comes from carrie from facebook and she writes i have a raised bed garden in my yard and it gets pretty okay sun what is with these people with pretty okay sun or light sun i know but they're trying i know right and it gets pretty okay sun throughout the day some things grow like herbs and lettuce late summer tomatoes but a lot of things don't seem to do well do you have any tips for keeping a raised bed garden
1: well, here's the thing. I think, she, I think her issue is the sun and not the raised bed part. Mm. I think. Um, so I would say defer to some of our shade loving, um, suggestions that I mentioned mm-hmm. and, and then raised bed gardening in general say it is the raised bed issue and not the soil issue or not the sun issue um raised beds are pretty much a recipe for success as long as the bed is deep enough so that your roots can really explore so and if she's growing good late summer tomatoes she's probably got a deep enough bed um putting good quality uh compost and and uh raised bed mix in your beds is is essential that's pretty much it i mean consistent watering is really important with your raised beds Mm -hmm. but um aside from that, I, I think her issue is probably sunlight and then she'll probably want to defer to more shade loving crops and also possibly see if she can open up a little more sunlight. If she do a little pruning on maybe her trees mm, or
0: something. That's a good idea. And how deep should the raised bed garden be? At least 12
1: inches. Um, I don't like to make bed beds more shallow than 12 inches, but they're great when they're 18 inches, um, 24, you know, when you're getting into like 18 and 24 inches, that's a lot of room for your plants to, for your plants roots to explore.
0: Mm -hmm. Especially those like beets and the carrots and the veggies that do dig deep that you need that, that space for. Oh, that's great. Great suggestions. Nicole from Instagram asks, how can I prevent my veggies and herb plants from getting sick?
1: Well, that answer, unfortunately, is complicated because it's a case-to-case basis. Mm -hmm. I will tell you a major contributor of illness in plants is low air circulation because when we crowd our plants, which is a pretty common newbie gardener mistake, Mm -hmm. we, we are really killing off the air circulation. And guess what? Mold and fungus loves poor air circulation. It loves stagnant mucky air that isn't Mm. yep so if you are having lots of issues of disease and fungus and that's what's making your plants sick which is often the case it may be that your plants are just planted a bit too close together and the air just isn't flowing between them (laughs) how much air should be flowing between them well what you're going to want to do is defer to every baker creek and say all right she might not be growing baker creek but every seed packet that you get from Baker Creek. Um, it's going to have a little growing chart on the side uh, And it's going to uh-huh. tell you I feel plant Spacing and so <laughs> You want to defer to those suggestions Because that <laughs> I wrote that chart And I knew like, you know what? I'm going to make sure that people are really giving the good spacing Because we all crowd them in too close I think I planted one bed yesterday at- With my uh, Fiance and he's like Let's put the tomatoes in at a foot and a half And I was like back it up <laughs> we're gonna be in disease city in a month's time oh my if god I don't face really those put down that shovel Go yeah I, I put it down it's <laughs> gonna get crazy diseased if you crowd them too much and then their foliage from here's talk about a recipe for disaster you've got one diseased tomato and it's foliage is growing and starting to rub up on the neighboring tomato Guess. <sighs> You're passing around your disease like (laughs) Like a bad tea party from the 70s.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we're let's try to cut down on that by giving them more. Oh, I love it. Great suggestion. So, moral of the story, everybody. Don't crowd your garden and follow the chart in the back of the seed packets. They're there for a reason. All right. Riley in New Jersey asks should I really plant marigolds with tomatoes and are there other plants that help a garden thrive?
1: Yeah. Companion planting is not a myth and is not overrated. Companion planting is awesome. What she's, she's basically saying, you know, marigolds and tomatoes, they do play well together. They certain plants have, a, have certain qualities that will either repel or mm-hmm. attract certain insects. That's a big reason to companion plant. So, If you're companion planting your tomatoes with your marigolds, you're bringing in a lot of really incredible, those marigold flowers, they are, um, they're strong in scent. They're bringing, they're, they're luring in beneficial insects that are going to help keep your tomatoes healthy. They might help in predation of, um, some of your garden, your garden pest insects. Um, they're going to maybe help keep your plants, um, more, um, yeah. Yeah. More free of pests. Mm-hmm. They're also, um, you know, really need help with pollination with your tomatoes because they're self-pollinating, but um, beneficial. Uh, so plants that have, that attract beneficial insects will also attract pollinators. You need pollinators to um, pollinate your flowers so that your plants will set fruit. So there's so many reasons to companion plant and interplant, and mostly it's to just attract good bugs. That's a, that's, one of the biggest reasons there are other um, nuanced reasons to do companion planting, but um, and there's lots of books on companion planting and they've Mm. got lots of great suggestions and um, some of it is garden myth, you know, um, but there are the, the chief reason is to bring on beneficial insects. And I mean, I've been to massive tomato or massive organic tomato farms out in California. And these guys have growing tomatoes organically and healthily in down to an exact science so they're not going to be doing any folklore myth kind of mm-hmm. practices they're going to be going straight science right from the university and you'll see those massive organic farms they've got banker um plantings which is basically they'll, they'll plant a perimeter around their miles of tomatoes mm-hmm. and in between their and in between their tomatoes of um of flowering plants that attract beneficial insects, so it is it's it's scientifically verified. It's it's legit.
0: I love it. I love it. I went to um, a winery in Tuscany, and I noticed that they had these beautiful roses in the front of every uh, like vine run. And I asked the, the owner, and I said, "Why do you have the roses there?" And it, kind of for the reason you're talking about. And he's like, "You want the the when you see the roses start to get sick." or start looking bad, then you know that the vines are gonna get whatever the roses have. So you have a chance to see ah, um... I was like, oh my God, that's genius. I thought it was just aesthetic. And he's like, no, no, no. It's basically what you're saying in a different way, like companion planting with that. Mm-hmm. So sort of, I think it's fascinating. And this question kind of leads back into Riley's question, but Tan from Instagram asks, is there a rule when it comes to designing your vegetable garden what veggies and herb plants should be planted together with what plants?
1: Um, rules. Boy, I hate the word rules. I know. I, well, <laughs> no one's going to hold rules. you to them. Don't worry. Yeah, there's no rules. Um, I, I love experimenting. I think that most people learn what to do and what not to do from having fun and experimenting. But there are great books out there on companion planting that I would defer to because, I mean rules, rules. That's, I mean, there's so many, there are a lot of good, there are a lot of good guidelines to follow. Like, you know, um, a big one with companion planting and choosing is, is to consider the size, you know, the size of the mature plant. So, you know, don't companion plant something that's going to shade out your other crop, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure to be cognizant that like things like allium plants, which are onions and garlic and, um, shallots, those crops, they can't take competition from other plants. They don't, they don't grow well if they're in the competition of other, of their plants. So if you grow alliums with a particularly aggressive plant, um, mm. they're not going to perform well. Mm. Um, that said, if you plant alliums, like garlic, garlic chives, shallots, um, onions, if you plant them around things like brassicas, which are anything in the cabbage family, cabbage, kohlrabi, broccoli, mm-hmm. California, Pak oh, bok choy, bok choy, all those turnips. Um, I could just like list I the. I love breasts. it.
0: Oh no! I'm like so. You, you can see my face right now. I'm just like staring at you with like, my hands underneath my chin. Like oh no, keep talking, girl. I love it.
1: Go on. Um onions and brassicas the cabbage family members they play well really you know they play together really well and that's because onions as we all know from our breath after eating garlic onions are super pungent and Mm so they are really 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 repulsive and repugnant to or they're they're really repulsive to a lot of um predator insects that like to attack cabbages so we keep our alliums around to keep our cabbage pests at bay.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Maybe what you can do is offline, you can suggest a couple of your favorite companion planting books, and I'll add them on the show notes, because I'm sure this is the tip of the iceberg, but it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, people really love learning about companion planting, and indeed, a garden just looks more alive when you're doing more interplanting and companion planting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had the pleasure of checking out, um, a fantastic kitchen garden in Orlando, Florida. Um, and it's a, it, it's a big, like seed to, uh, seed to table garden where they have like a culinary Institute attached. And so you're mm-hmm. a culinary, it's not an institute. It's like a culinary experimental, um, house. And so they'll so be cool. Yeah, it was really cool. It's called the Edible Education Experience. It's connected with Emeril Lagasse's foundation. Mm. Um, I visited there and he was doing so much companion planting. It was so cool. It was like nasturtiums with everything and um, just lots and lots of interplanting and companion planting and things were just looking more abundant and pest pressure was way down. Mm -hmm. Um, Beneficial insects were way up. So this is the kind of diverse garden that we're really looking for you know no monocultures please thank you
0: (laughs) I love it okay awesome and get your nasturtiums and marigolds people um Mm -hmm. okay Lily in Brooklyn asks I see I see seed packets for attracting bees and pollinators all the time what do I plant with them in my yard but do I need to start them indoors first
1: and that was pollinators. She's asking if yeah. she can she can start her pollinator plants directly or start them indoors first. Yeah, mm, that's a tricky question, because some things that attract pollinators are going to be think plants that grow best direct seeded, while others and especially when you're talking about perennials, you can start them um, directly out in the garden, but you uh, they would need a little cold treatment first. So you'd have to pop the seed packet into the fridge, for a few weeks to mimic a winter, or you'd be better off planting them in the late fall. So that's an answer that kind of comes on as a case-by-case basis. Lily can send me an email at okay. seeds.com and I can get into like, she gives me the names of the each individuals then I can say, start that one in the fall or put that one in the fridge and then start oh my it. God. Um, I can give her a more detailed answer, but it's not quite so black and white. It's, it's nuanced. It really depends on what she's growing.
0: I'm, i can't wait to send you an email of all the seeds i just bought from baker (laughs) that's
1: what i do that's what i do
0: yeah because holy crap like i had no idea that you needed to put some of these in the fridge to mimic i i am floored and you know i don't have a green thumb but i have a feeling because you and i have just fallen in love whether you wanted to or not now i'm going to have a green thumb because you're my new best friend and so here we (sighs) go I am so, I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you in advance. <laughs> well,
1: I should say that um, pretty much anything that you're ordering, that's like a, your typical garden, you know, garden yeah. plant. It's not going to need to go in the fridge. The, the things that need to go in the fridge, very rare. It's just a, but it happens to fall into the pollinator. In mm. some cases fall into the pollinator plant categories, like some perennials.
0: That's so, so fascinating though. So mm-hmm. Jay in San Diego and, you know, Jay in San Diego has great growing weather. So I can't imagine he's going to have a lot of issues. But Jay in San Diego asks, what tips do you have when it comes to maintaining a vegetable garden?
1: Yeah, right. No complaining. Oh, wow. <laughs> we don't want to hear it. That is like ideal gardening scenario. right? Um, so general tips. Um, okay, so here's the thing don't skimp on your soil. Please, please, please know that your plant's health starts with where it grows in its soil. Um, so pay closest attention to the soil that you provide to your plants and also, um, you're San Diego, so you probably don't have to worry too much about sun, but in general, anyone listening, think about your sunlight. Um, really what you can grow in any backyard the the essential thing is to gather some data you're gonna need to figure out how to provide for your plants how to be like a good plant parent Mm -hmm. is by just getting the the details down like get out to your garden and figure out on average how many hours of direct sunlight your garden beds are getting per day figure it out is it's Is it one, is it two to four or is it six to 12 um, during the summertime? Oh, I mean, um, Mm -hmm. figure out about how much time uh, your plants are getting direct sunlight because You're going to have different options, whether you have a little bit of sunlight or a lot of sunlight, that's going to dictate um, whether you have direct sun or whether you have a a tree over your garden. Um, And then it is going to also factor in that you're in San Diego or if I'm in Florida. I don't mind not having direct sunlight on some of my beds because it's Florida. It's hot, Mm -hmm. but you're still getting a lot of indirect sunlight and a lot of um, heat. So. I'd say get the data down, figuring out your first and again, San Diego, not such a big deal, but every gardener really needs to know their first and last average frost dates. And the great news is somebody already did that work for you. You just Google, you just look up your zip code, just type in your zip code or your county and then average last frost date. And you look up those words and you're going to get data that scientists have taken for like ever, ever ever never, never, never on when the average last hard frost hits your region and when the average first frost of the fall shows up in your region. So those are going to be really important dates to set on your calendar because that's going to dictate when you plant your seeds Mm. because some seeds love the cold and some seeds absolutely can't handle the cold. Some plants love the cold. Some plants cannot handle any cold. And so you're going to kind of break your plants into categories Guys love the cold, these guys can't take any cold. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to set calendar dates, you're going to work from there.
0: Okay, I love it. And you know, our friend in San Diego, this doesn't apply to him, but I followed your rules and went in my garden last year. And unfortunately, it snowed in May here in New England, and it was a very it was like such an anomaly. And it was like the first weekend in May where it's usually never knock on wood that cold. And like you said, the plants that I had planted that should have been okay ended up getting sick because of Mother Nature. But that's no one's fault but Mother Nature. So you know, my two hundred dollar salad didn't come out as well last year, but that's okay. Uh-huh. So <laughs> yeah. Moving on, we have a couple more listener questions, and then I, I know you have you have to run to um, tend to your garden. So Josie in Boston asks. I live in the Northeast and I usually start my garden from plants that I buy at Lowe's or home Depot. I wanted to start, I wanted to get some special vegetable seeds from your company this year. Should I start these indoors first before I plant them? If so, when do I plant them?
1: Well, it's all going to depend on what you choose. Um, Mm. There are certain things that do best when direct sowed and there's certain things that do better when they're started indoors. Um, The most important thing Josie is to, figure out where you're going to start your seeds inside. Do you have a greenhouse? Do you have a sunny South facing window? Um, and is your house drafty? Are your windows tight? What you want to do is first, if you're even thinking about starting things inside, you need to set up your, your seed starting space. So, you know, uh, tell everyone else in the house that the South facing window is off limits. It's your zone now and lock it down and get that place you know as your seed starting oasis or you're going to invest in some grow lights and you're going to invest in a little fan so that the there's good air circulation you're going to get your grow lights mm. and you artificial light to start indoors but before you even think about doing indoors just figure out way hey, where am i going to do this sunny facing sunny south facing is a great one i mean it doesn't have to be south facing but a good sunny window is essential um I've started seeds indoors my whole life and I've always just usually just used a sunny window and it does the trick just fine. Um, but yeah, get first assess your region, you know, assess your, your abilities there and then basically buy your seeds and consult the back of the seed packet. The seed packet's going to either tell you whether these things are best started direct seeded in the garden or they're best started, um, indoors and then transplanted out
0: awesome that's perfect so again read your seed packets people read those seed packets i love it now i'm really going to read the seed packet um Mm -hmm. all right rob from instagram asks i tried growing peas last year and they turned into a tangled mess do you have any tips with growing peas and beans
1: Yeah. I mean, um, the, the varieties are different. There are bush varieties and there are climbing varieties. Um, mostly that's with beans. There are bush beans and, and pole beans Mm -hmm. with peas, most peas are climbing varieties that require a trellis, but there are some bush varieties too, but, um, getting a trellis built, that's going to be really important. And, um, you don't have to space your beans or your peas very far apart, but if you had a big tangled mess, I'm going to say you probably needed a trellis, <laughs> something to throw them up with like a little arbor or fence line, or just make yourself a little trellis out of some st- skinny bamboo sticks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe you had them too close, but probably it was just not having a trellis. So trellis. Trellis is key.
0: And will they climb on their own or do you have to encourage them when they first start coming up to climb on the trellis?
1: No, as long as you make the trellis nice and close to the plants, they will climb readily.
0: Awesome. Those peas, nature, man, nature, like just amazes me constantly. Like, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. I love it. Mm -hmm. Chris in Vermont asks, last year, my garden took off and I ended up with more veggies than we could eat. I gave some away to friends and neighbors, but do you have any good recipes for using up a lot of different veggies?
1: Uh, minestrone soup minestrone yeah. <laughs> i don't know if you say
0: minestrone,
1: minestrone soup um soup soup soup, mm-hmm. soup. and then you can freeze um, it too yeah and you can freeze it i'm a soup lady and also uh stir fry tons of stir fry mm. um uh you can also process and freeze so that you have your stuff later in the season you can do some canning get into the pickling um i'm i'm pick, lacto-fermented pickles are phenomenal and there's so many. <sighs> things you can pickle. Um, There are some, I mean, there are pickles go way beyond cucumbers. I mean, you can pickle just about anything. Um, So getting into pickling, canning, freezing, that's a good way to extend the harvest. Um, and stir fries and soups are another good way. Curries, you know, cooking, there's mm-hmm. no better way to get rid of a lot of its tomatoes than to make a good curry. Oh,
0: I love curries, man. I'm, you are making me so hungry, sister. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, just a couple more questions for myself to you. I know that you are probably, I mean, being in Florida, I'm sure your gardening mind started a while ago and you probably even started your garden a while ago. But what are you really excited to grow this year?
1: Oh, so many things. Um, My (laughs) garden, I'm in Central Florida and it's the end of March. So, actually, my garden is like Cranking out produce right now. I'm eating tons of lettuce as we were. Of course, of course. Lots of lettuce. So I've been doing lots of stir fries, lots of curries, lots of salads. Um, but things that I'm specifically excited for this year, I'm growing tons of vining edibles this year. So I've got, um, and I'm in Florida. So uh things like zucchini are kind of tricky for us here because of the squash bugs and the pest pressure. Mm. So instead of, um, just like trying to muscle my way through the season and like force zucchini to grow where zucchini are unhappy, I've decided to switch to loofah gourds because loofah gourds, when they're young and immature, they taste just like a zucchini. So wow. Yeah. And and then they mature into that awesome sponge that is great for exfoliation. So it's a real twofer, um, (laughs) Well, I'm growing. Awesome. Yeah, and what's really cool about loofah gourds is that um, a lot of people grow them on the sides of their houses to actually cool their houses down um, because that you can grow them up. Like say you have a trellis on your on the side of your house and it gets mm-hmm. good sunlight. You could grow the loofah. It's a big, you know, floor, um, not florifer. It's a big green vine that makes tons and tons of leaves and it makes a really thick bush of foliage so it effectively cools your home wow. um so yeah that's been throughout history that's been a technique for um in like uh, very hot tropical places that are fairly rural and that's been a way to um naturally cool your home down a few degrees is to grow a loofah gourd up the side so i'm going to be growing loofah gourds up my fence line at the <laughs> garden um and- I'm gonna be eating them and then washing with them and then um everyone's getting a loofah gourd for Christmas, by the way, in case anyone wanted to know what Shani was giving yeah. Christmas <laughs> this year. <laughs> She's Yeah, you know, that's it's a great intersection. Um, I'm cheap and I love to make home gifts. So that's I love it. it.
0: That's awesome. That's so awesome. Oh my god, I had no idea. You're gonna have to come back in the fall so we can talk about like fall oh. things because I I I just I I could talk to you for. Hours. So how can people get a hold of you guys? How can people find you on the web? Sure. Yeah.
1: So we are um our website is called rareseeds.com. Um, we have this awesome YouTube channel that I highly encourage people to check out because we dive deep into the histories of these specific heirlooms, some of the heirlooms with really, really good history stories. Mm. <laughs> so if you check out Rare Seeds, um, the Rare Seeds channel on YouTube. We have a whole playlist called Seed Stories, and the Seed Stories are epic. They're amazing. They're just these great deep dives into the history of the Cherokee Purple Tomato or the um, Lady Godiva Squash. I'm not gonna, you know, spoil. no. I'm,
0: can't wait to
1: watch these. This is awesome. They're really good. They're it's, it's deep history. We we use a lot of historic images, um, so you'll see like the old catalog listings from the 1800s and images yeah. from the. 70- we're talking deep dive. And so if you're a history nerd, definitely check out our YouTube channel for the seed stories. And then, uh, gardening nerds can check it out for the, um, for the growing tips that we have. And then, um, uh, food nerds can check out the, uh, in the kitchen playlist that we have because we've got some awesome recipes. Um, cool. we have
0: a- I'll link to everything on my website with the show notes. So I have one last question for you, if you don't mind. Sure. All right, if COVID wasn't a thing and you had oodles and oodles of money, where would you go and what would you eat?
1: Oh my gosh. I would love to go to Kyoto, Japan. Um, mm. this, this is somewhere with a rich history of uh, the vegetarian diet. Um, for many centuries, Kyoto has had a, um, a predominantly vegetarian diet. And so lots of breeding has gone into uh, vegetables there so they have just incredibly rich um, gourmet heirlooms in Kyoto Japan and I am dying to try th- things like their pumpkins and their watermelons pumpkins yeah. and uh, Japan are are fantastic and delicious um, so yeah Kyoto Japan I think that's where I would go first just to have some of those kiyo yasai Kyo yasai those are the traditional vegetables of Kyoto and they've been they're, they're protected. They're protected species. Um, they're being, you know, um, curated to make sure they don't disappear, or go away. So very special culinary heritage in Kyoto, Japan that I would love to experience firsthand.
0: Oh my God. I want to go with you. My bags are packed. I love it. Shani, (laughs) it was such a pleasure to chat with you today. I would love to have you back on because again, we could talk about all of this so much more and so much more in depth. So thank you, thank you, thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Oh,
1: thank you. This was a blast. I really appreciate it, Elizabeth. And I, I've been loving listening to your story, so...
0: Oh, keep- thank you. I will, I will talk to you soon. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye. Shanny Shani, thank you so much again for your wisdom, your joy, your love of all things gardening and vegetables and planting. My God, I am so inspired. I can't wait to eat all of your vegetables fingers crossed from my own garden all summer long you guys thank you so much for listening please keep sending your questions in let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com tag me in all of your food adventures on instagram at let's go on a food adventure and for the show notes my portfolio and everything else go to my website elizabethrfuller.com you guys i'll see you next week Please, please, please lead with kindness, show some love to one another, and make some amazing food along the way. Bye!